Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, we'll get to the sports week in a second, but when we last left, you were off to Texas for Father's Day with your son. Did you enjoy? Other than the heat, I loved it. Yeah, it you, was great. You saw a bunch of baseball, right? We saw two Texas Rangers games, and as you see, I'm wearing my Texas Rangers hat, which not because I'm a fan, but... When I take my son to games, he often gets me to buy him things. And for Father's Day, he said he was going to return the favor, and he bought me a hat. That was very nice of him. And it was a good time at the ballpark for you both. I saw you tweeting out for Carlos Tochi. Yes, on the Texas he, he, he does not get in the game. He's you could. There was a point at which this poor guy, who I think is batted like twelve or fourteen times, they've just stashed him on the bench because he's a, a Rule Five pick. And they, they literally, he sits there and waits till they let him pinch run. Wow. And he almost came out, had his helmet on, and the inning ended, and he just looked like he lost his best friend. Well, I'm glad you had a good Father's Day. We'll get back to that, but we're going to start with some Sixers because the draft was last night. And, because we're confused. And, Let's be honest. And who better to come explain exactly what happened last evening than Keith Pompey? Keith, you there with us? Yeah, I'm here. What's up, fellas? Keith, I, we don't know what we up. don't know it's what's up. up. <laughs> we're, tr- we're trying to figure this out. So I, I was I saw all the heartwarming stories of the local boy who's going to stay home at 10. His mom works for the team. Very touching. Let's, let's put him in the hat. Let's have him do a press conference. Let's get him off stage and let's ship him out to Phoenix. What happened, Keith? <laughs> he got trumped by a first round pick. <laughs> That's what happened. The was- local boy thing was cool. But then when you throw a first round pick in there, it's like, bruh. We love you. <laughs> Not that but much. We have a first round pick. <laughs> That's what happened. Was this expected? It seemed like Bridges was the guy that they wanted at that point, and the draft fell in a direction that that they planned. It it didn't seem like they thought this would happen. How did this kind of come about? You know, you're right. Bridges was the guy, and when you talk to people, a lot of people say right now, you know, Bridges can come in and, and do certain things that uh, Zaire cannot do. And I, what happened is, like, you know, but Zaire has some workouts, <laughs> two of them. Brett Brown was in, impressed with him, and he, and he liked him. He really did. And then it came to a point where, I mean, if you think about it, you know, you, you can get this guy. Is he better than him right now? No. But long term, you know, he has a better upside uh, because he's younger. And then secondly, you get a first-round pick that that you can basically throw in a trade. Not only that, his salary is 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 less than um, Bridges, and that helps you with the cap space. So, you know, I think that had a lot to do with it, all those things because, you know, they're basically freeing up cap space. I mean, they know that they're going to have a tough time getting the guys who they want, but at the same time, you know, they're going to try to do it. And, and, you know, I, I honestly think that that was the thinking, you know, once they got on the phone and was talking to uh, the Phoenix Suns. All right. Now, Keith, anytime I hear that somebody has more upside, that means that currently they have more down. <laughs> <laughs> There's more, more room to move. <laughs> so it is Zaire Smith that somebody that they already had on their radar at, before having two workouts? I mean, have Brett Brown seen him play? It's easy to say he saw Bridges play because Bridges played in the same building most of the time. So 
did he did he see Zaire Smith and, and did you guys see this coming? Not the trade necessarily, that but that Smith might be the guy. Well, this is what I'm gonna answer your second question first. In regards to them drafting Zaire Smith, it wasn't well. As far as them getting Zaire Smith, it wasn't a surprise. You know, and, and and the reason why I'm saying that is it's like they liked Zaire Smith, and yes, the scouts saw him before, and, and typically he got brought in because that's a way to allow the coaches to get a good look at him because, you know, they're focused on, um, you know, the, the, their current season, you know, their actual season, so they don't really get to look at a lot of players in person. So I expected, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say expected, like the thought was if the Sixers um, couldn't get bridges, they would possibly trade down because Zaire Smith, you know, his stock, you know, he was going to be there around 14, 15, 16. So the thought was that the Sixers could possibly trade down in that range and pick up Zaire Smith. Now, the thing is no one expected the Sixers to get Bridges, the guy who was the perfect fit for this, this team at this, for, this up, um, for this upcoming season to get him and then trade him for a guy who's basically going to be, you know, someone who they could try to nurture and then make him a better player. That was the shocking part about it. You know, now, if they were to trade it down, you would say, okay, I get it, I understand it. But the fact that the way it went down, that was the shocking part. If this was not a local boy whose mom played for, or works for the organization, and played out the way it did if this was somebody out of Cal or somebody out of Syracuse that they drafted and then traded like this, would the reaction from people who are opposed to it be so strong? Because uh, if you listen in some places, you would think that they traded the next Michael Jordan, and it doesn't seem like that was his projection to begin with. He just, as you said, which is what I thought going in, he fit perfectly for their need now. Yeah, exactly. And, And it's like their need now as someone coming off the bench, too. You know what I mean? He wasn't projected to be a starter, and you are you you are correct in the other thing. No, I mean if the even if the guy was at like Lehigh or Bucknell or somewhere close by, you know what I mean? No, the people wouldn't care. It was like, hey, that's what happens. You know, I mean, honestly, that's what happens, and they would say that. I mean, when you think about it, we could go back to when they picked up Dario Saric, right? And I know Dario's a, a pretty good player. But they waited two years. They had a guy, a point guard, um, Alfred Payton, who they did the same exact thing to. You know, they drafted him. He walked in the media room. We asked him about playing for the 76ers. He was elated. He walked out. And then next thing you know, he had to switch hats with Dario, you know. So, and people were like, hey, that's okay. We got Dario Sarge. Yeah, he needs to work on his jumper. But, you know, his upside in two years, he's going to be a pretty good guy whenever he comes over. So you're exactly right. I mean, if you take, if you, take um, you know, the fact that Mikel went to Villanova, you know, people would say they, they would talk about um, uh, Zaire's freakish athletic ability. You know what I mean? He's like 6'3", and he was jumping center for Texas Tech. You know, people would talk about that. He has a 42-inch vertical. They would talk about him being a great guy. But you're right. Now they're saying, you know, how dare the Sixers 
I'm about to uh, cancel my season subscription. <laughs> you know what I mean? Something like that. <laughs> the the so outrage just, just seems so um, overblown in some quarters. Now, all right, so I have two questions back to back here. One, mm-hmm. would Brian Colangelo have made that move? And two, is the move that they made a further indictment of the Fultz move last year, giving up the first round pick? for Tatum that they then had to go get back to now be able to use as a chip this year? Ooh, before you answer that question, I at least want to say that there would have been at least four burner accounts that would have said it was the best move ever. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Keith. I got, I got a go. funny man as co-host, Keith. Uh, but he is correct, though. <laughs> he, is correct. he is correct. And at least um, one of them would be following Keith. <laughs> yeah, you know, honest Abe. Like, hey, buddy, how you doing? But, um, so the thing is, you know, I don't know if if he would have done that because, you know, as much as they say it was a group decision, you hear that, you know, Brett Brown really was the guy who really wanted him, who really liked him. You know, it was it was Brett who led the charge. You know, he was impressed with him. So I don't think so. I think Brian would have tried to like, hey, we're trying to build now. Let's just play it safe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it would if he would have done that. And again, what, what was your second question? Is it a further indictment of? You know, there's the question last year about yeah. the Fultz trade still giving that that one and, and Tatum to get Fultz in here. Well, here this year now you have to go sacrifice a player who fit your system perfectly for somebody who's more of a project, but to get that pick back that you now will use as a chip to try and make a trade to as. Brett Brown said, go superstar hunting. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is. Of course, they're going to say no. But, like, you know, if you look at it this way. So, yeah, um, Mikel folks, right? He's a guy who can play point guard, and he can play the two. That's what, you know, they're, they're saying. You know, he can play the both positions, and he can play it well. So he's the perfect combination to go with Ben Simmons. Well, what they do is they go out and get a guy who's freakishly athletic like Markel Folks is, and he may even be a better athlete than Markel as far as jumping and all that. So you go out and you get him, and you want him to play the two. But then you go out there and you get a, um, you know, uh, you, you get the, the second, the, the, the second um, first-round pick who, who just happens to be a point guard who's a heady point guard who's a great three-point shooter. Who's doing exactly what they wanted it, from Fultz, basically. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, you got two guys, and combined, they're a Mark L. Fultz. You know what I mean? You have the point guard, <laughs> and you have the, the guy who's the freakish athlete who, who you're trying to develop into a two-guard. So, yeah, I think that had a lot to do with it, man. I do. I mean, because they didn't go out and get, like, the small forward type. Now, we also know that, you know, they're trying to go after small fours in the draft. But it's like the Sixers have never – well, you know, last year they had Jared Bayless, but he was more like a combo guard. But he came as a point guard, but he was able to be a combo. But since I've been on the beat, they've only had three point guards. They only would carry three. You know, like – and right now it's like, what do they have? Like a lot. four <laughs> point guards. You, you know what I'm saying? It's so, like, so what's going to happen? Who's, who's not going to be here? Um, well, here's part of the problem. You got to get someone to trade for, for Markel right now. Yeah, I would, that was a you question know? I have. What's his value to somebody who but, is not the Sixers? No, 
I can't be high. I mean, it's not high. I mean, the thing about it is, it's like, you know, they can say, you know, you can say what you want. Um, you know, you can say, oh, he's doing this, he's doing that. But until you see it, you know what I mean? Like, no one's going to believe it. You know what I mean? So, well, so, so and they know that too. So right now, his value isn't high at all. Well, so so Keith, I was I was reading your your Twitter feed uh, fifteen twenty minutes ago, Pompeii on Sixers, and, and you mentioned that Brett Brown was talking about doing elementary shooting drills. Mm-hmm. I don't get the impression then that he's going to be at summer league. By the way, Jeff nah. talks about elementary shooting drills with me in the driveway. So yeah, uh, <laughs> not not with the, f- the first pick in the draft. So if if he's doing elementary shooting drills and he's not going to summer league, does that hurt or help his value? My my it thought is that's going to hurt him, which is going to make yeah, it harder to trade him. Time. So then what? So what are huh? they doing? So so what? At what point? <laughs> At what point do you – I understand he's young. I understand that he had whatever issue he had. Uh, I don't understand when the Sixers are going to say, okay, you now have to go in the deep end. At some point, he's got to take the water wings off, and they have to see if he can play. Yeah, I agree. But I think the fact – but here's the thing. I think whenever they say that <clears throat> he's doing shooting drills – and he's not playing basketball is a reason why he's doing shooting drills and not playing basketball. He can't make the shot right now. His form is, you know, yeah, he he's doing okay in these drills, and that's what Brett says. But if he was, if if his shot was together and stuff like that, then he would be out there playing. And if you think about it, if he can't make shots, then no one's going to trade for him. So you have to get it back together. And I understand, and believe me, I understand what you're saying, but I think it's just a matter of him not making those shots and not being able to do it. So that's why he's not doing it. It's not like they're they're taking the you know, they're they're holding the kid gloves. And then here's something else. <clears throat> During the season, you know, at first Brett Brown was you know, he was he was I think he was protecting Markel, trying to say it was our decision, our as the team. Then it got to a point where he basically said, look, it's up to Markel. Markel has to decide, right? And then once he said that, next thing you know, two days later, Markel's playing. So I I think, you know, Markel has to get it in his mind that he wants to play as well. Well, wouldn't that help if the team told him um, you're going to play in the summer? (laughs) I mean, I I just... But at the same time, it's not that... I mean, I know everybody says, hey, look, you got to play. And I say that that tongue-in-cheek, but, like, at some point, Jeff's right. I mean, when are you going to learn... I get it. He's got to get a shot down, but there's also something to be said for, like, actually the game experience of being in different situations with players on the court that he's not getting either. Exactly. It's it's two things. Here's the one thing. The the first thing is that's something that they should have figured out when they drafted. Exactly. Because because you know they all have contracts, so there's certain literature in the contract, and apparently he doesn't have to play because of certain literature that's in or that's not in it. You know that's absent from the contract. So the wording is not there. Huh? Is that a screw up on the Sixers part that it wasn't in his contract? I mean, you know what? I don't think here's the thing with that. Like, if you're typically you, if you're typically a first overall pick, you know, you only play one year of summer league. That's it. 
and I think that no one could foresee it. I mean, think about this. Like, we could say it's a screw-up now, but think about this, how bizarre this is. This guy getting the yips and forgetting how to shoot is just as bizarre as the general manager's wife having four burner accounts. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, think about it. Like, have you, like, this is something that, I mean, all you know, we're all in the business. We've never covered one of them, let alone both of them before, <laughs> right? So, so that's the one thing. And then, and then, like, secondly, like, you know, it's kind of like if you're if, if you're trying to sell a car, right, or sell a house. Like you're trying to sell your house, and when you know that people are coming in the house, you know, you tell your kids, make sure you clean up the room. You know what I mean? You know, you make sure you do this. You want it. You want it. You want everything to look perfect. You know, you want flowers here, this, there, to make everything look good. You don't say, okay, I'm about to sell this house, and you have trash on the on the kitchen floor <laughs> and stuff like that. So if they're trying to trade them and his shot is, is, isn't there, people are going to look at me like, come on, man, come on. And then, like, you know, even if it gets back, it's like the first impression of when you tried to trade. You right. understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no. So, I, I totally <laughs> I totally get what you're saying. That the problem is you didn't answer the question, which is there's four point guards. What are they going to do? Don't forget about Shake Milton. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's going to happen is somebody is going to get someone could end up getting stashed overseas or the or they coats. could spend a bulk of their time in the, in the in the G League. Man, then I'm then I'm buying my tickets. The then I'm buying my tickets to the Blue Coats because they're going to have a really good point guard. But but here's the thing, and again, I, and I'm just assuming, and I, I don't have any. Knowledge. It just happened yesterday. But then you look at a guy like T.J. McConnell, who I really like. <laughs> the other three guys have guaranteed contracts. His is non-guaranteed. Interesting. So you can't waive any of them if you can't trade them. I mean, you can cut him, but that goes against, you know, you're losing something. He has a non-guaranteed deal. Now, I don't think that they would want to cut him, and they're going to try not to. But if if, if, if everything stays the same, and unless you send one down or, or this year you just say, hey, I'm going to go with the four, you know, you you know, you know might get rid of the guy that's uh, <coughs> that, that basically, you know, you don't have to pay. You're, you're not on a hook for it. Well, he also has trade value too, right? Yeah, he has trade value. He has trade value. I mean, personally, I wouldn't get rid of him. No, me neither. But, yeah, he also has trade value. Yeah, he has trade value. So we are uh, basically a week away from free agency starting. Um, draft done last night. Teams kind of know where they are heading into things. Uh, first, the current free agents that the Sixers have, Redick, Ilyasova, and Bellinelli, do you have thoughts on, on how you think or have you heard anything about what the team thinks about who they might want to bring back and, and how? I mean, I think they would really like to bring back all three of them, especially I think if I had to pick two of the three who definitely they would like to bring back, it would be Redick and, my, and possibly um, Marco. Now, the thing about Marco and Redick and all of them, um, like you know, they can get like a a mid level ex- exception. Talking about Ursan, Marco, and um, Reddick. Um, that's like I believe it's five million around that. So if if you're Ursan and Marco, you say okay, yeah, I'll do that. 
But if you're J.J. Reddick and you just came off for $23 million, and we all know that he was overpaid, he knows that. But if he's, but he's probably saying, well, heck, if I made $23 million, I could at least make 12 you know. And so why would you take, like, assuming the 76ers, like, go after LeBron James. So why would you take $5 million? You know, now, who knows? Maybe LeBron James is going to wait. He's going to basically, he probably will. He's going to wait to see what he's what he wants to do. And if the Sixers really want him, they're going to hold off on on um, acquiring a, a free agent, like a, a top-notch or acquiring the type of free agent that wants that J.J. Redick type money, right? So if you're J.J. Redick and other teams are coming at you and they're saying, hey, we have 12 to $15 million to, to give you, but you're waiting for the Sixers to see to see what LeBron James says. He's not going to do that. At least I wouldn't. If you're you know, the- you have to get paid. So, you know, it matters. So it's like we can say they want to bring everyone back, but unless they just, I'm giving up on a Le- LeBron James sweepstakes, they're kind of like, you know, they're stuck, man. They, like, you know, you can't make any move until well, how- you find out what LeBron James is going to do. How long do you wait? Though I mean, Le- LeBron may if LeBron's going to wait to see what everybody else does. You can't wait around for too long because, as you say, then you're going to lose the three guys that you can get, or two of the three guys you can get. At some point, as much as everybody says, I want LeBron here. If LeBron's going to just sit out there, you can't wait around. He's already he's shown he's going to do what's best for LeBron, and there's nothing wrong with that. But look, this is the second time he's going to leave Cleveland, likely and leave them with nothing. And this is his hometown team, so you can't wait around for him forever. Yeah, you're right. That's a tough decision. And guess what? Maybe that's um, maybe Brian Colangelo is probably happy that he's not in that post right now because <laughs> he would have to make that decision. <laughs> when, when, <laughs> you know to, when to He'll cut tweet bait. About it. When to cut yeah, bait when on to cut fishing bait. But that's a LeBron. great question. I mean, I don't know, but uh, that's a great question because if you do that and you wait too long, like, you know, you're you're basically messing up your, uh, you know, your bench and everything. You, you you're kind of starting over again with another young team. Yeah, you put you your know? team in limbo while you're waiting. Um, <clears throat> other free agents potentially. Obviously, you hear the talk of Kawhi Leonard. It, it seems like he still wants out. I don't understand why San Antonio would send him to the Lakers. That makes no sense to me. I'm not saying that the Sixers would or could get him, but, I, I mean, can you explain to me why people think that Popovich would want to send Kawhi to play for the Lakers with the assets that he would not get back? Uh, because it, here's the thing. Like, you know, I was talking to people in the league, and as much as San Antonio says, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, when you have a player that says, I'm only going to go to one team, and – Basically, if you don't waive me, I'll play for you guys, but you're going to, I'm going to walk away and you get nothing. So, unless, like, pop, I mean, so, like, any, any, because, like, so if he says that, so if he stays, that if he stays, Popovich has to deal with, okay, we had a two time All Star and he just walked out of the building. We're done. You know, we're done with him. Or, if you try to trade him to a team that he doesn't want to go to, he's going to tell them, like, hey, I'll come here, I'll play hard, but I'm just letting y'all know that I'm going to L.A. So if that's the case, 
are you going to give the Spurs what they want? No. You know, like, hey, dude, I got a bag of donuts. You know what I mean? Here, some uh, uh, Fritos. <laughs> well, Jeff likes, Frito don- Jeff likes donuts and Fritos. But, okay, yeah, so let's I mean, say so- that the, the Kawhi, let's, uh, sorry, Jeff, not making food jokes around you. Donuts, let's, yes, Fritos, let's, no. let's say that, that they, they don't uh, end up landing Kawhi, they don't win the LeBron sweepstakes. Who else are they looking at potentially going after to, I mean, to dude, round the it, it ain't, I don't think it got that. I mean, you, you might say <laughs> We're not there yet. Tyreek Evans. I mean, like, to be honest, like, a lot of people want to come up with names. Dude, they, they're, they're really going after, like, the A-list type of guys. You know what I mean? If not, then they said they could try to re-sign people if they're still there. But, you know, it's like they have a small list that they want to go after. If not, they'll try to save that cap space for next year and then do it all over again. You know, that's the that that's their focus, and that's what they really want to do. You know, I mean, and again, I mean, Tyreek Evans, if you thought about it, he would be a, a great a guy addition for him. But, you know, I'm pretty sure he would want to sign for more than one year. He just doesn't want to sign for one. I mean, he had a one-year deal last year. So, you know what I mean? So that, that that's the dilemma that they have. And, and you know what, you got to give Brian Colangelo some credit because, you know, he talked about this. He was like, look, if we can't get the, the guys that we have and we have a short list, you know, then I think it may be best for us to just just hurry up and bring this team back. You know what I mean? Just make a quick decision. I got, you one, know, so. I got one more question as far as positioning. We got lots of point guards now. Who who's the backup center? Is Rashawn Holmes really the backup center? Because who else do they have? Well, right now he is. Right now he's the backup center. Um, who is uh, Jonah Bolden supposed to come over this year? Um, you know, he 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 looks more like a power forward to me. But yeah, right now is, is Rashawn Holmes. We better hope Joel and <laughs> stays do you healthy. Have, do you have confidence in that, Keith? <laughs> I mean, I like Rashawn. I mean, I, I mean look, you know, you, you know, we, we like a, we like Rashawn Holmes. I mean, I, I wanted him to get more playing time. It doesn't seem like Brett Brown has confidence in him when he needs him yet. Well, I mean, that's a tough one. I mean, it's you know, it, it sometimes you know, Brett is all about certain principles and you know, doing the little things, and and I guess sometimes he felt like Rashawn didn't do them all, like on a defensive end. You know, it's like certain things, but Rashawn is such a great athlete that. You know, he, he can correct his mistakes, you know, going to the rim. Now, if there's one weakness against this game, it's like, you know, he's a slender guy, uh, like, you know, you know, slender build as far as more like a, a athletic build. He's not like a brute. And let's just say the bigger centers, you know, he had a tough time, like, you know, guarding them one-on-one. Like, he could meet people at the rim, but he had a tough time guarding those type of guys one-on-one. So, and then you have a guy like Joel Embiid, and, you know, as long as Joel's healthy, you know, you don't really have a – people don't really talk about too much, like, who's the backup. No, exactly. You know what I mean? Because he's not going to play a lot. But when, you know, with Joel's injury injury history, you know, that's when the focal point comes and or that's when, um, excuse me, the focus comes on, you know, who is going to be the backup center. Um, but like you said, that's something that they have to address. Well, we will keep following you at Pompeii on Sixers for all our latest news and uh, hope to have you back in a few weeks and explain how this all shakes out. Yeah, uh, dude, don't like make me take a quiz. I'll probably fail that one. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it'll be written. Jeff We're will, taking notes. Jeff, Jeff, We're will, taking Jeff notes. will take notes. Thanks so much, Keith. Have a good one. All right.
Thanks, Joe. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, Jeff, the one question I didn't ask him before we go to break, um, it bothers you that they don't allow the players to change their hats when they're traded for each other on the broadcast. It makes no sense. (laughs) Everybody knows. It's no secret that especially the first trade was three and five, right? So they both knew what was happening, and they made them sit there with the wrong hat on and go through all of this nonsense just announce the trade. I will say, I did think the pace of the draft moved along well compared to other drafts. I didn't like, realize they were doing the second round. Yeah. Like, I thought it was going to be, okay, we're going to do that round because that's a couple no, hours it right moves there. Quickly. And, the, and then the second round, it's like, all right, just pull a name out of the hat. It moves very quickly. All right, let's head to break. Stick with us. This is the Heart of Sports. When we come back, we will have our High Hopes Phillies minor league rundown segment. Stick with us. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon residential landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Taking you into the weekend with the latest news in the world of sports. With the biggest names on and off the field. It's the Heart of Sports each and every Friday at 4 p.m. on 610 ESPN. With former players, reporters, and commentators like Adam Schefter, John Runyon, Keith Jones, Trey Thomas, and Doug Glanville, Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen cover the agony and ecstasy of fandom while weaving in conversations about the impact of sports on society. That's the Heart of Sports, Fridays at 4 p.m. Welcome back to High Hopes, our Phillies minor league rundown report. Jeff, are you in the mood to talk some baseball? Always. You're always in the mm-hmm. mood to talk baseball. Um, you saw some What do you ba- want to talk about first? Well, I mean, let's talk Phillies for a second because right. you got some younger players. Walding's back up with the big team after J.P. Crawford's injury. Did you see what he did? Uh, not well. He struck out. Yeah. He's, he has struck <laughs> he's out every single time he's been up in the major leagues. See, I wasn't going to take that, it that, in that direction. <laughs> I, I, I truly I feel horrible for the guy. <laughs> this is his dream. And he gets to the majors and he hits the golden sombrero, which is four strikeouts in a game. And then he's pinch hit a couple times and strikeouts again. It, hopefully he turns it around, but I, I don't. I don't see him as a long-term solution. The big team is at thirty-nine and thirty-three heading into Washington this week. Seven of their next ten games are against the Nationals. The other three are against the Yankees. Yeah, Nationals don't worry me as much unless is Scherzer pitching in that. I don't think so. I think they well they'll probably hit him the diggity. next time around. I don't think they get him in this three-game set, but they have a four-game set. Okay, so after the Yankees, if they if they don't have Scherzer, they got a shot. But the Yan- the Yankees worry me more because the Yankees are just insanely good this year. They are very good. Um, who is not on the Phillies roster anymore? Hector Neris uh, with the AAA Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs after uh, some great struggles. Your yeah. thoughts? It was time. I mean, he ha- he's had plenty of time to be the closer, uh, and it just seemed to be getting progressively worse. I don't know if it's in his head. Hopefully he'll straighten it out there because he's, he's just a talented pitcher. But for some reason, he comes in the game lately in the first batter. I mean, I think he had two games in a row where he gave up a home run to the first batter. It's it, This is not what you want from your reliever. You don't want walks and you don't want home runs once you come in the game. Obviously, Sir Anthony Dominguez gets all the 
uh, headlines, but another young pitcher in the bullpen, Uribe Ramos. Yeah, uh, he is pretty much unhittable. He's two and zero with a .64 ERA in thirty two games, struck out uh, thirty two in twenty eight innings. I mean, you can't get much better than that right now, and yet it still seems like every time I turn on the game, <laughs> the Phillies are taking a lead or or something into the late innings, only for the bullpen. Because, I mean, we went, we went through this last year. We talk about this. It seems like every couple weeks, relievers need roles. How are you so patient with the Phillies when you're not with other sports? Um, I'm like not you, patient with the manager as necessary because the play. I, I mean, I know the talent is there. I mean, I think they're going to so need some more hitters. So you believe in this roster? No, I think they need more hitters. There's there's too there's too many guys that have too low batting average. The problem is, is you look around the league. This is a league wide problem. Bryce Harper, who's supposed to be, you know, him and Mike Trout are supposed to be the best ball players on the planet. Bryce Harper's hitting like 210. Okay, so it doesn't matter that he's got 19 home runs. This is this is an epidemic in baseball now. This whole nonsense with the launch angle and home runs and the emphasis on home runs has created monsters, which is which is literally they either hit a home run or they strike out. We are going to have multiple guys having 200-plus strikeouts this year. Which was unthinkable in the past. Think about that. Think about, you know, look, my generation was Tony Gwynn, who never struck out. I mean, the thought of a guy striking out 100 times, Dave Kingman would look like a contact hitter these days. But we don't see that. Like, we've been around to the minor league teams. Right. And and you're not seeing... Other than cousins, <laughs> you're not seeing those types of <laughs> you're like you're lucky you said that. <laughs> strikeouts because because I know where you're going to go right. But other than him, you're really not seeing those types of strikeout numbers in the Phillies minor league system. Nah, you are. I mean, there there are some guys. Mitch Walding was one of those guys. Well, he's continued. Um, in the yeah, majors. right. Um, there there is this emphasis that came with with the analytics of. Launch angles, and I, I really don't understand why launch angle should matter. Uh, when you should ask Pat Borders about that when you talk to him in Williamsport next week. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> in a minute. Uh, I do, I just don't understand. We were always taught to hit the ball on a line, hit it hard, make on solid a line. contact. Exactly, not hit it really, really high. Uh, that it just doesn't make sense to me because it's not going to increase your home runs to the point that you're more productive. Because you're not getting on base, and and that's what's becoming scary is that, you know, this whole chicks dig the long ball thing seems to be all that Major League Baseball cares about, and it's not entertaining. And I but think that they're losing are, fans. Over. I was gonna say fans are not digging it. Their their no. attendance is down. Their mm-hmm. rate like they're 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 trying to figure out what's going on. It's a noticeable drop in terms of fan interest in their sport, and they don't seem to know what to do. They seem to keep having the same conversations. Is it the shift? Is it the well, that's part of it? But that, is but it the length had, of the game? And well, they do shift. nothing. And and people like yourself continue to complain about the product that they're seeing on the field when that really is well, what the yeah, problem and is. And I'll still keep going. But <laughs> the, the the shift has nothing to do with the strikeout, though. The strikeout is its own epidemic. The shift is a whole different thing, which is going to kill careers. Like Franco. Franco, over the last week, hit it to the third baseman almost every time he was up. And all they have to do is just load that side of the field. It's it's becoming a real problem, and I heard that even now the league is worried about this shift thing. 
I don't know how they're going to fix it. If they want to take, I got lots of ideas, one of which is putting little hash lines and saying, you got to stay in this area. Oh, until wow. You really do have ideas, don't oh, you? Oh, I got, I got, uh, uh, the shift drives oh, me Oh, don't do nuts. this to our listeners. Don't go through like your laundry list. I won't of... go. I promise. <laughs> I won't go through it now. But it, but it, but if Manfred feels like listening, I'll be glad if to If you'd like to call, in. you're available. Yes, I am. I'm available for, uh. You should, you should problem. write it up in a brief and send it over to the offices uh, of Major League Baseball. No, no, that's my day job. I can't, <laughs> I'm doing that. Okay, let's talk a little yeah. bit about what's going on down on the farm. Um, you're headed out to Good Williams. stuff. You're headed out to Williamsport next yes. week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will not be joining you, but you and Alex are going to take good care and get us some interviews, correct? We are, and there are some... If people don't know, Williamsport is the short season, so they just started last week. Yeah, explain to our listeners who aren't familiar with with the baseball minor leagues the Williamsport Clearwater Lakewood dynamic of the low a yeah, a they're all a the highest a is clearwater the middle a so that's the a plus yes okay and then they call it high a <laughs> and then, and then lakewood is regular a and then short season a is williamsport so, so when, who plays in that league? It will be, usually be the guys that got drafted this year, the younger players, the guys 18 and younger. And, you know, people go, younger than 18? Yeah, there are guys that play 16, 17 years old. The Toki was in the system forever. Um, and he started when he was 16 from Venezuela. So a lot of the Latin American ball players who don't get drafted because they, they get signed differently than the draft, which is a whole different argument that I don't understand. <laughs> um, you just got issues today. Yeah, yeah, I do have issues with that. But But – that's who you'll see there. So Alec Bohm, who just got drafted by the Phillies, could be up there by next week. He's already impressing down in Clearwater. And when I say Clearwater, not for the Threshers, he's playing in like a extended month. On the back uh, yeah, ball fields. Right. Little extended so his, spring his training. His first pitch that he saw in professional baseball, he had a triple. And he went three for three the other night. So he could be up there next week. Their fifth-round pick from Notre Dame, Matt Veerling, is already up there and doing well. So there's a bunch of guys that you'll want to see, and they are led by, as you mentioned before, Pat Borders. Yes, the Pat Borders who played on the 93 Blue Jays. You already know I want that question asked. <laughs> yes, you do. I have a different memory uh-huh. of that season ending than Pat in fa- Borders In fact, has, what I likely. want you to do is, do you have a picture of yourself crying when that happened? Can you recreate the scene if you don't? And so I can bring up a picture and say, Pat, look what you did. Look what you did to this young man Uh who's now much older and still has nightmares. Could you please give this photo to Joe Carter? (laughs) (laughs) You you ruined his childhood. That's right. You have no idea what I have to deal with because of you. (laughs) I thought I was going to game seven. (laughs) I was so excited. And then it was done. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You had tickets for game seven? We would have had tickets for game seven. Oh, that I I, I hadn't heard. Heard that yeah. part of the trauma. <laughs> Dreams crushed, man. <laughs> it was terrible. Uh, but no, I'm excited to hear what he has to say. I have been very impressed with the managers. We should not call them coaches, as we learned last week. Right. Although this is A ball, so they are coaches in A. It's double A that they become I'll ask managers. Him. Yeah, you should ask mm-hmm. that. Um, I've been impressed with the managers in this system that the players have to learn from. Uh, we, we've spoken to three of them so far. You'll get Pat Borders. Uh, it, they really have so much knowledge to, to really learn from down there. It's yeah, impressive. It really is impressive. And how they deal with them is the way that you'd want. I, as a parent, I would love them to be my kids' managers, coaches. 
Well, uh, you just don't want to coach <laughs> kids' team anymore and be hated. That's right. It. I want somebody else to do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it, that's a good lead-in for our interview today. So we were out in Reading a few weeks ago, and we talked to Phillies pitcher Jojo Romero. Who has lots of pitches, you'll find. Who has, who has lots of pitches <laughs> that we asked him about, but who also um, had his father as a coach. And uh, Jeff, you, you got to ask him about that during the interview as well. Yeah, so let, let's listen on. Let's play and listen in. We're here with Jojo Romero. Jojo, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Jojo, tell us a little bit about the the Double A season. Yeah, you know it's been uh, it's been fun. Uh, you know, I've learned a lot of things. You know, over the first uh, say first month, more than you know, more than anything, uh, making a lot of adjustments and uh, you know, just having a lot of fun now. So I hear you have a lot of pitches. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> There's there, we've heard stories that you have eight pitches, you have six pitches. How many pitches will you rely on in a game? Um, honestly, in a game, it could be all seven, eight. And it might be one pitch just one time because I know it will work in a certain situation. Most of the time it does if I get it where I want it to be. And then probably won't throw it again the rest of the game. But there's always just – usually it's a one moment or one hitter that I know it would work. And I'll bring it out for that, you know, that one time. One of the things that I've, I've read about you is that over the last couple of months, you've learned maybe to throw a few less pitches and that it seems to have helped you in, in getting things under control. Yeah, see, the, the thing that I was trying to do early on the year was trying to be effective with everything at pretty much trying to do it all at once, which is impossible to do. But um, now it's, it's just keeping it simple, you know, establishing the fastball. And, I mean, I've been getting a lot more outs on the fastball, so it's kind of – I mean, you don't want to, you know, fix anything that's not broken. So, you know, we just keep attacking with the fastball. And, you know, every chance I get, you know, I'll mix it up. But uh, that's, that's pretty much just how, it, how it's been lately. All right. So I'm trying to picture the conversation that you have the first time that you meet your catcher. <laughs> and you tell him, hey, by the way, I got up to eight pitches. Now, last time I checked, the, the catcher's only got five fingers on one hand. So so how did, let's say you want to throw your, your seventh pitch. How does he put down that sign? Well, there's a couple signs that um, – they they can mean different things. Uh-huh. So it's a way he he holds his fingers with a uh, with a slider. You know, can mean something else. The way he holds his fingers with the changeup can mean something else. Um, the way he holds his fastball could mean something else. So yeah, that's a, that's how we work it. Everything I've read is that you're kind of a sponge. You just keep trying to learn. You you talk, you learn new pitches. You know, two three pitches last year or earlier this year. You're working on them. Um, where does that come from for you? Where it just doesn't seem like you're ever satisfied with what you have. You're always trying to better yourself a little bit. Yeah. See, I, I mean, I'm always watching. You know, games. You know, I, I watch you know, all those um, those uh, like Darvish, um, Otani. There's kind of, you know, those guys that, that have a lot of pitches as well. And um, when I come out here, you know, playing catch, you know, I just mess around, you know, with different grips. And if something feels right, you know, I'll try it on the bullpen, just see how it feels, and then, you know, add it to the arsenal. <laughs> how, how, does, how does your pitching coach react to that? Um, I mean, he loves it because, you know, there's di- different weapons, but he also wants me to, you know, keep in mind I have a good fastball, so to use it and don't run away from it. So, What's your favorite pitch to throw? Hmm. Probably say my cutter. I picked that up last year from one of my teammates, actually, uh, Trevor Betancourt. He uh, he was my uh, catch partner, so I asked him, you know, how he threw it one day, and that same day, you know, I wanted to throw it. I had a bullpen, threw my bullpen, and um, you know, it, it was it was something to play with. And then I hadn't thrown again, and then in the game, I was like, hey, you know, I'm messing around with this pitch, you know, 
I want to try it out. And the first one I threw was pretty firm and got a strikeout on it. So I was like, okay, you know, I kind of like it. I'm going to keep throwing it. I was reading a little bit about uh, how you're working on finding your routine and, and getting into a set schedule. It seems like you kind of have a five-day routine going on. Can you talk about how that's become important for you and what it means so our listeners understand? Yeah, I mean, um, with, with me, I feel I have a really good game day routine. I have a, you know, have a set schedule. You know, I get a get here early. You know, kind of get get my body ready. You know, I lift and then you know, kind of get ready to you know pitch. But um, getting yourself established, you know, beforehand, it's just kind of you know little trigger points that, hey, you know, your your, your starts coming up. It's time to get ready. It's time to get ready. You have a bullpen today. You know, you're gonna focus on this, and then you get a couple days rest. I would say maybe out of those five days, you have one day where you can really just kind of relax and kind of just in a sense go through the motions but just give yourself the opportunity to let your body relax and really recover and then but but still at that point you're just constantly getting your your mind right you know for the when you're when you're getting ready for a game and you go to warm-ups and you have multitude of pitches do you try them all out and say okay this is working today or will you press through it and have a game plan that you work out with the coach to say hey look Today, here's the three pitches I want you to throw, regardless of whether or not you have it at the beginning of the game. Yeah, see, that's that's pretty much the game plan. It, what it, what it is, it's um, a fastball changeup. You know, we're gonna attack with that, and then I'll whatever. There, it'll usually be one a breaking pitch that will feel good in my bullpen, so that'll be our you know put away pitch in, mm-hmm. in a sense. And uh, everything else from there, it's just based off feel what we think. Uh, but as far as throwing in the bullpen and uh, like warm up pitches, I just throw fastballs, and all the, everything else is pretty much on fill and kind of you know what I'm you know what we see in a certain situation. Over the last uh, couple starts, it seems like something's clicked. What is it about you're now at a new level, and what's a, what is it about the level that you think that finally clicked? Just keeping it simple. Uh, I think I think you know going back to what I was saying about trying to you know attack and establish every single pitch you know at once. I think that's what I was trying to do early on, and now it's just. I mean, the hits are inevitable, so let him hit it. You know, the, what our pitching coach tells us is that the odds are, you know, nine against one. You got, you got a bunch of fielders behind you, a good defensive team behind you, and, I mean, he's trying to, you know, put in the gap or trying to get it past those guys, so just let him hit it. And I think that's something that I've been doing, and I've seen myself get, um, get a little bit deeper into games, um, walking fewer people, and throwing a lot more strikes, and, you know, it's been effective. What's it been like to learn patience as you go through the system? You had so much success coming into the league, uh, you know, obviously made a name for yourself, and now here you are trying to get there, but at the same time, you got to learn every day and become better. What's it like to balance that and sort of humble yourself every day coming to the park? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I love it. Um, and, you know, once again, you know, you're constantly learning. Um, I've learned, you know, different things about my fastball that – probably didn't didn't know last year and you know because I had the I was early on struggles this year and you know it was getting hit you know I kind of you know messed around with it able to do certain things with it and you know now that I'm able to you know find my rhythm gain a lot more comfortable I'm using that to my advantage to where you know it's it's helping me a lot I saw you say that in an interview the other day that you feel like you found your rhythm what's it like when you feel like you found it and you're in that zone and and throwing those pitches and, and all of them are working what's that feeling like and then on the flip side what's it like to try and push through on a day where you don't have the feel of your pitches that you want yeah I mean you know when for me that rhythm it's just it's like a 
you know how do you explain it? Um, it, it's just it's just a relaxed feeling. You know, when you're on that mound, you're just kind of you, you don't feel like you know there's batter in there. It's just like a bullpen. You're just kind of in a sense, it feels like you're just going through the motions. That's how easy and loose it feels. And you know, on the flip side, you know, it's just a constant. I know I'm better than this. You know, what, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like you, you can feel yourself almost there but there's just one thing that you know that's missing and that's kind of what it was early on and it was just the the patience I need to have with my with my fastball so we noticed that you have a Twitter account that you're pretty active with it how did you come up with Jojo the Jet uh, it was something from when I was younger um, I played soccer you know growing up and I was always you know really fast you know as a on the soccer field and that translated to baseball and I was always really fast you know on the diamond too and that just kind of stuck with me. Having played more than one sport growing up, can you talk about, you know, we, we often see people specialize in one sport or another. Did it help you to play multiple sports as an athlete coming up? I, I feel it did. I mean, I played, uh, I played basketball, soccer, and baseball growing up. High school, basketball, and soccer, same season, so I had to pick one. I chose soccer, a little bit better at it. Um, but I feel it helped me a lot as far as from from soccer standpoint, the conditioning is you know off the charts. So it always prepared me very well for baseball, and I feel that's something that helped me you know be you know athletic on the mound. You know the way I am, and as far as a pitching standpoint, the the stamina to be a starter. You know I feel that that helped a lot. You've moved through the system with uh, some names that are familiar to Phillies fans now, like Sir Anthony Dominguez, who's up in the majors. What's it like to see somebody who you've come up with? make it and have the success that he's had to start yeah I mean it's awesome uh you know I got to play with him a little bit last year and uh and to start the year this year and you know this year it was just a different you know it seemed like a different mentality for him like he could feel himself there like get you know close and it just seemed like he flipped a switch and you know he, he took off from there you know just his his demeanor when he would do his bullpens, you know, playing catch, his arm carry, like it, it was just a different demeanor. And I mean, it showed when he went on the mound, he was lights out. And I mean, that's how he, that's what he's doing now on the show. What number did you like to have when you were a kid? Um, I was always younger. I was always 31 because that was my dad's, uh, you know, baseball number. And then it translated <clears throat> to number six all throughout high school, college, and then I had it last year. So your dad was a baseball player too? Yeah, played a little bit, yeah. And so, so what was it like to have a, a father who played baseball as, as a dad? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's challenging because he knows and he's been through a lot, so he, he knows kind of what you're feeling. But it's, um, it's awesome because he, on, the, on the other hand, you have someone that knows. And you know, he, can, he can feel for – he knows exactly what you're feeling. And um, he was always my coach, you know, growing up, so – that was always fun. What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, was it always fun having Because we, we have a kid here who would probably disagree Je with you. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff coached his son, and I don't know if his son would say that it was always fun playing for his dad. Um, I would say there was a lot of times where I went home with my mom instead of my dad after a game. <laughs> so, but, I mean, it, it, it's always fun because – um, I, w I was always I always played um, with the older group with the older group of guys and he coached so he would sometimes you know let me coach a couple games I could, he would ask me for advice on hey you know where should we put him or I would always put my or have my input so it, it was pretty fun but 
So after your 15, 20 year career in the majors, you're going to coach? Oh, definitely. I mean, I love doing it now. Whenever I go back, uh, my brother's in high school right now, so I help out the high school team. Uh, I'll put my or have my say, you know, with catching, you know, infielders. But you know, I, I love it. That's you know, that's one thing I really want to do. All right. So when you make it to the majors and they you walk in to pitch your first game, what's going to be the music that you have? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, might be "Dance with Somebody" by Whitney Houston. All right. Yeah. Who's the locker room DJ right now? Uh, I would say the Latins have that. Anybody in particular? Um, probably Alniri Garcia. Okay. He has a yeah, he's a DJ right now. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really yeah. appreciate you joining us. Thank you for having me. Wish you the best of luck, continued success Thanks. in the organization. Thank you. Jeff, you always ask the toughest questions about what walk-up music will they have. It, I, it's funny. You would think that they think of it, and you stump them every time. Uh, you know, you learn you learn something about them. You learn whether they like old rock or they like different kinds of music. It, it I, I think it's an interesting question for people to, to answer. I enjoyed the laugh that we got around his father as his coach and you with your son there. Uh both commiserating about what it was like. I, I, look, you could you could tell from the interview, and you could tell from us talking to him before and afterwards, how much he admires his dad, and how much his father has meant to his career. And he lit up talking about it. Yeah, too. A, a, but you can all. He was also honest, which is look. I coached my son for years. My son would tell would probably tell you that a lot of it was enjoyable, but a lot of it is. You have to be harder on your own kid. I, I tried to always be balanced, but you you can't help it because he's your kid. And so you try to be harder on him. A lot of people sit there and think coaches favor their own kids. I don't think that's true at all. I know in my household, my wife would not agree at all. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I think that most families can relate to, you know, the whoever the mom or dad or whoever whichever one's the coach goes much earlier takes the kid there and then the other parent comes in a separate car and then they usually leave at the same time and most times the kids leave him with the parent who's not coaching <laughs> who's not coaching the team <laughs> i before we went uh i had read about his developing his eighth pitch and i said to you i hear he has eight pitches now and we were both kind of like what how do you do that so asking him about the first meeting with the catcher when, when you're like um okay i got eight pitches yeah, it, and it was interesting to hear him talk about how he he works backwards off of his pitches, and um, you know how he'll use a pitch for a certain situation. Uh, it just really seemed like he kind of everything was starting to click for him at this point, and he felt really confident in in his stuff. He's he's a really intelligent guy. He's another one that, and I think this partly has to do with his upbringing, and I think part of it has to do with the coaches that he's been lucky enough to have. With the Phillies organization, he's he's figured it out. Maybe he hasn't figured out every single pitch. He hasn't figured out everything that he's going to do. He's certainly going to struggle every time he gets promoted. But I, if somebody said to me today, "Would you put money down that this guy's going to make it to the major leagues?" There's no question in my mind that he will, and there's no question in my mind that he'll at some point after hopefully a success, successful long pitching career well, with, be a coach with sports betting in delaware and new jersey you can go put money yes, on that and now. rhode island we've got point. three minutes left so let's run mm -hmm. through what's going on on the farm with the teams lakewood is at their break now 
they are at their uh, well they just finished their all-star break mm-hmm. um but last week they made a mad dash to the finish because the way that single a works is you have a first half and a second half because so many people move up and down right after the break that they figure the best way to do it is you'll have a first half winner and a second half winner and then they play in the playoffs that'll be the first round so they were able on the last day to pull out a victory and the team that they needed to lose lost so it worked out well but it all came down to their pitching you know we've talked about the ace clause most of the first half including will stewart and Here's what's amazing. In 80 games, or actually 70 games or so, they had 15 shutouts, six more than any any other team in the league. They ranked first in the league in ERA with a 2.55 team ERA. They had a whip of 1.13. They had the most strikeouts in the league, 653, and the least hits allowed, 476. They struck out more, over 150 more than they gave up hits. Th- that's good for the future. And Will Stewart will be starting the All Star game. Yes, so it's mm-hmm. a it's it's a good thing. It things are are looking pretty good at, at single A ball in terms of the arms and some of the talent there. Um, I think the Phillies have arms all, all throughout the system. I mean, n- now you also talk about Triple A. You have guys that are on the threshold. We've talked about Cole Irvin before and De Los Santos, and you have Ben Lively there, and they're in first place, four games up. They have a whole season to play, and. There you go again. You have arms there. You have JoJo. You have Sixto Sanchez. You have Medina. They are they really are loaded for the future. Have we for heard arms. any news about Sixto? He was shut down a little bit with some soreness. What what I had heard was that it wasn't necessarily soreness that he was hit in the elbow. I think. Oh, okay. So I'm not I'm not sure, but but I I have not heard that there's any long term problem. You always worry when you got a guy who throws 100 miles an hour, especially he's he's not a big guy. So, but his motion is so fluid, I'm hoping that there is no issue there and that 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 repetitive motion doesn't become a problem. Last minute of the show, give me stock up, stock down. I'll give you stock up. Um, Mr. Positive today. (laughs) Welcome. Get off my lawn, but I'm saying with a smile today. So Austin Listy was right behind Derek Hall on his way from Clearwater to AA Reading. And when he was at Clearwater, he was batting a, a hefty 344, nine home runs, 45 RBIs. And he came up last week to Reading, and he did not skip a beat. 400 home runs, seven RBIs, 1.044 OPS. That's going to be the last word. Thank you for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.